My name is Jennifer Sloan. I'm president of the Canadian Club, and we thank our viewing audience for being with us this afternoon. The Canadian Club has a long history as the leading current affairs podium in Canada. Led by a volunteer board of directors, we are dedicated to encouraging open and accessible debate on issues that matter to Toronto, to Ontario, and to Canada. Through our youth and young leaders programs, civic action diversity partnerships, accessibility commitments, as well as through our media partnership and social media properties, we provide opportunities for Canadians around the world to engage with leading political, business, and public figures. Thank you for joining our conversation today. Before I formally introduce our speaker, I'd like to tell you about the two remaining events of our 2014-15 season. On June 16th, Music Canada President and CEO Graham Henderson will discuss Toronto's position among the world's greatest music cities and the cultural, economic and social benefits of a vibrant music economy. And on June 17th, direct from CBC's flagship news program, The National, joined season insiders Kathleen Monk, David Hurley, and Jamie Watt, and moderator Don Newman, as they discuss one of the most anticipated Canadian elections in decades in front of a live Canadian Club of Toronto audience. To order tickets, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. You can also join the conversation via Twitter and Instagram by following us at CDNCLUBTO or by using that hashtag. And I'd like to express special thanks today to Tilray for being with us and for making the event possible. Ladies and gentlemen, on your behalf, I'm pleased to introduce today's speaker. In 2002, there were 477 authorized users of medical cannabis or marijuana, as it is more commonly known. That figure was according to a 2013 Globe and Mail article. Recent figures put the number of authorized users at 37,000, and that number is expected to reach more than 430,000 by 2024. Medical cannabis is a controversial, leading-edge, and growing industry. Fourteen months ago, the federal government revised its approach to the supply of cannabis. Under Health Canada's Marijuana for Medical Purposes regulations, the government agency no longer supplies the product to those with a proven medical need. Now, licensed commercial producers are the main suppliers. Enter Tilray. It is one of Canada's leading cultivator, processor, and distributors of medical cannabis. Based in Nanaimo, British Columbia, Tilray's Canadian team is 120 strong and includes research scientists, botanists, horticulturalists, patient advocates, and former RCMP officers. Tilray is led by Mr. Greg Engel. As the company's first CEO, he brings more than 25 years of healthcare leadership experience 
in pharmaceuticals, biotechnology, and now medical cannabis to his role. In a re recent Huffington Post blog, Mr. Engel explained his reasons for leaving big pharma for an emerging complex industry. The bottom line for him is the ability to do something that helps people. Before joining Tilray, he served as general manager of Forest Laboratories Canada, general manager of Incisive Canada, and CEO of Northern Therapeutics. Today, he is joined in conversation by Mr. Tom Blackwell, health reporter at the National Post, a beat he has covered for the last 10 years. Before I invite them to the stage, I'd like to draw your attention to our screens. This is part of 300 morphine tablets per month. A few bottles of nortriptyline. Try and break the chronic sleep pattern. All of these combined have about 23 side effects to them. It's a part-time job managing chronic pain. The other part-time job is managing the side effects of this stuff. I, I, I want my life back. I want to have my quality of life returned. There is no, no place that it's not painful. A lot of things were affected by, by the injury. I had to go through a grieving process of um, really dealing with the emotional impact. It was very, very hard. In the beginning of taking morphine, the side effects weren't quite so bad. It, it seemed to get worse. Narcotics was altering my reality. It was altering everything about me. I really had to put myself through a process of reevaluating my own values when it comes to cannabis. For me, it, it was then agreeing with my doctors who had made the suggestion before I was ready to try this. And then to actually see what happened when we tried it on four different occasions. Um, to see actually small amounts kill the pain, stop the rain outs, and I'm not high, I'm not out there, I've got no side effects, and I have four hours where I have no pain. Life has returned to somewhat normal. By day three, my body actually felt like mine. I had no more cramps in my legs. Um, I wasn't feeling unwell. I was actually feeling well. By day eight, um, I was completely off morphine. What's changed is my mind is clear. There's no overlay, that fog of morphine. I can multitask like I used to. I'm back able to be really clear in conversations, not nauseated, um, not indigestion, not feeling unwell. All of that's dissipated, so I'm back to what you would call myself. My quality of life was destroyed, and now I have it back. <laughs> Mr. Engel? Mr. Blackwell, the Canadian Club of Toronto's podium, Canada's podium of record, is now yours. Thanks very much. Thank you. So um, if anyone had any doubt that uh, Mr. Engel was involved in a very interesting industry, um, I thought I would just read out the names of some of his new company's products. Um, and they include uh, Bubba Kush, Digweed, Purple Kush, Rockstar, Watermelon, and Island Sweet Skunk. So, 
this is not uh, the type of uh, uh, healthcare company that, uh, that, that you were involved in in the past by, by any means. Um, well, as it turns out, uh, uh, we have uh, today what in the news business we call a, a news peg, very conveniently, um, it, and uh, I, I think it sort of illustrates some of the tensions in, in this, uh, around this industry. The Supreme Court today uh, ruled that, um, uh, against the wishes of the federal government, that edible cannabis products uh, for medicinal uses are, are now legal. Um, Rona Ambrose, the health minister, I think almost immediately uh, ex expressed that she was outraged by this decision, because uh, of course the, uh, the federal government continues to oppose the use of, of uh, medical cannabis. Um, but uh, maybe let's start by, by uh, talking about that decision. I mean, what, what, what does this mean uh, for patients? What does it mean for, for your company uh, that, this, uh, that now edible forms of this are, are legal? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very positive move for patients. Um, there's a certain percent of the population out there in the patient population. Uh, we can only sell cannabis in a dried form for smoking or for vaporization, uh, but there's certainly patients out there that are looking to use it in a different form. So certainly from a patient perspective, this is a positive ruling. I think it puts us in a position where we need to work with HealthCan and the regulators to see what implications this will have in terms of the licensed producers in the system and how we supply product. Um, we are already working on clinical studies that would uh, bring forward extracts um, and some type of form in a capsule or other liquid form um, in research to test out those forms, you know, so working with Health Canada to get those studies underway and on, on, on you know, on the record because we think that it's important to advance the clinical side. So certainly the courts have ruled in this manner, but it's also important to have the evidence and to continue to do research and really test out what is the exact form, what would be the dosage, what would be the precise delivery form for patients. Um, and I think that is in part is what Health Canada's concerns are, um, and we look forward to working with them to kind of advance that science. Well, I mean, as a medicine, what do we know about uh, edible forms versus smoking or, or vaporizing uh, cannabis? I mean, how effective is it as opposed to other ways of getting this into your system? Yeah, so there certainly have been studies. There are two, uh, you know, there have been a number of small-scale studies that have been done on edible forms, and what I think is really needed at this point is to do larger-scale studies where you're doing not only the clinical work, but the preclinical work. So look at pharmacokinetics and look at everything um, in terms of what is delivered and what's absorbed, and that's where the big difference is. So Lots of people have used edible forms, but um, you know we really need to understand specifically what absorption rates will you get, and and that's why I said I think we need to continue to do research in that area. And before we're in a position as a company to ever deliver any type of you know extract-based product to patients. Right. As I mentioned, the the federal government has already come out and uh, and complained bitterly about this Supreme Court decision, and perhaps because it's only the latest in a in a string of losses in the Supreme Court for the uh, Harbor government. But I mean, what's it like working in an industry where the the main uh, regulator is essentially uh, opposed to your very existence, really? I think what we see certainly, so on one hand, we applaud the regulations that are in place. We have the strictest regulations in the world in medical cannabis, and we think that's critical for you know, for us to operate, for the industry to operate, and to ensure that Canadians are provided with a safe uh, product that undergoes rigorous testing. Um, where I think we continue to see is, you know, a situation where we are working very closely with Health Canada. So what you may see, for example, statements like that don't necessarily reflect, you know, as regulators and the individuals that work within Health Canada, 
um, you know, they're working with us and they want to see the system work. So, uh, in, in a sense, the bureaucrats are a little more on side than the politicians, it would seem? Well, they've been given a mandate, and, the, you know, they've been given a mandate, and we have strict regulations in place, and we work closely with them to make sure that we adhere to those regulations and, as I said, deliver, a, you know, a safe and, and tested product for patients. Right. Well, let's go back a bit. Can you tell me a bit about the, the history of, of Tilray? Because it's, it's kind of interesting, because I understand that uh, it was the federal government that actually approached your... Uh, investors. Um, so how did that happen, and, and why were they interested in, in putting money into, uh, sure. into this business? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So prior to uh, Tilray being formed, um, we are an affiliate company of a private equity group out of the U.S. called Privateer Holdings. Um, this is a well-founded group that uh, has you know, some world-renowned investors that have publicly come out and part of that investment group. Um, we were approached by Health Canada before the MMPR regulations came in place to look at investing at a number of potential companies that wanted to get into the space. Um, as our founders of Privateer looked at those companies, um, they didn't see anyone they really wanted to invest in. Um, they didn't find the right mix of companies that they wanted to invest in. So they made a decision to start Tilray as their own company. So Tilray, you know, was founded. Um, we began operations in April of last year um, once the regulations were in place and came to the market. And we're not just a Canadian company. We're also looking at global opportunities. So we've applied for licenses uh, in Uruguay uh, and more, most recently in New York State, which has very strict regulations not unlike Canada's. And we'll continue to explore those opportunities around the world as medical cannabis um, continues to evolve. Right, and I understand that you you are sort of expert-minded. I mean, does that mean that you're going to be making or making growing uh, marijuana in in, uh, in BC that's going to be exported to these places, or how, how would that work? So at this point, the guideline, the regulations don't necessarily allow for that. And, and Health Canada actually came out yesterday with a um, with an update, which is um, you know still uh, you know not can. Uh, prohibiting it completely, but um, I think there's still work to be done there. Um, our initial structure of setting up Tilray in Canada was not necessarily for export. It was to serve the Canadian market, and that's what we're focused on. Um, I think potentially there are export and import opportunities around the world as this marketplace evolves, and uh, we'll continue to explore those. And I think with Health Canada, that's a regulation we'll, uh, we'll want to continue to discuss with them. Sure. So, so, I mean, as, as you know, there are those who are continue to question the legitimacy of, of this industry. I mean, not only the, the, the federal cabinet, but uh, uh, the Canadian Medical Association and other medical groups have, have suggested that doctors shouldn't even be getting involved in this. Um, I mean, what, what uh, you know, in, in your past life in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, you, you were required in order to get a drug on the market to go through a whole... Uh, uh, you know, slew of, of uh, tests and studies, and, and you know, on, on in the lab and animals on humans mm -hmm. before you could actually um, market something and, and claim that it, it did some good. What uh, I, I think there is, uh, it's fair to say that there's a lot less evidence than that behind medical marijuana. But uh, what, what's your case for this as as medicine? You know, how, how much hard evidence is there that that this works for the kind of things that that a lot of people sure. are, are using it for? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, medical cannabis has been used, uh, it's been in the pharmacopoeia for thousands of years. Um, we're certainly aware of its use over decades and over centuries. Um, there is very strong anecdotal evidence and from small-scale studies, clinical evidence. Um, but you're right, there is a need to advance the science. And as I said, um, that's why we're committed to research 
And uh, we recently formed a new uh, CMCC, which is the Canadian Medical Cannabis Council. And all the members that join that group are, have to be committed to research. We currently have a study underway uh, in post-traumatic stress disorder with the University of British Columbia, where we're you know, testing the dried form with veterans, first responders, and sexual assault victims. Um, we're also right now in the final stages of uh, developing a, an adult epilepsy study, which would be a multi-center randomized controlled study, as you refer to in pharmaceuticals um, here in Ontario, but potentially across Canada. And at the same time, as we advance the research and the evidence, I think it's really important that we focus on education. So um, we're working with physicians and leaders in the field to educate other physicians. And we are the only company at this point, we have two accredited programs. So physicians are in a position where they can either go online or at events, um, get continued medical education um, credits, which they require for, um, for their need. Um, and, you know, again, we feel that legitimate education and using accredited programs like that that have been vetted um, are critical. We also have an accredited program for pharmacists as well. Mm-hmm. But, but, I mean, should we be surging ahead with this uh, program, with, with allowing people to, to legally use marijuana as medicine before the, the jury is, is completely in, before the, all of the really good evidence is, is established? Well, I think we've seen, as you've seen... Um, you know, we've seen on Maria's video, here's an individual who actually was an ex-RCMP officer who turned to medical cannabis. I'm sure everyone in this room has touched, has been touched, you know, um, by someone in their life, either with cancer um, or other condition, who may have sought or considered medical cannabis as an option. I personally had that experience. Uh, it's part of what drove me to the industry, was that I had a sister-in-law who was a lawyer who um, was adamantly against, uh, you know, cannabis use in, in general. Um, but, you know, late in life for her, she turned to medical cannabis and it made a huge difference for her. And, you know, when I see that personally happening, it really affected me. Um, and so, again, do we have the hard clinical evidence that we would have with the pharmaceutical? We do not yet. But certainly, and that's why the system is structured the way it, it is, where the decision on what's prescribed uh, for a patient is really between the patient and the physician to determine what's an appropriate strain. Sure. And I mean, certainly, as, as people have often pointed out to me, there's no evidence that anyone has died of a, a marijuana overdose, as opposed to the opioid uh, painkillers, which so many people are using, and, and unfortunately, which so many people are, are dying from the from the use of. So. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. There's uh, never been a uh, medical cannabis or a marijuana overdose. Right. No, fair enough. So I, I know you have some concerns about some of your competitors in, in this business. Um, a, a lot of them are, are uh, sort of uh, penny stock companies. Uh, uh, and, you know, their stock has gone sort of fairly wild, wildly up and down. I mean, uh, is it a challenge to, or is it going to be a challenge to sort of maintain the uh, kind of the reputation of this, uh, this industry uh, go- going forward, I guess? Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's very concerning to us. I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, we made a decision, uh, which we announced last week, to exit the Industry Association um, for a couple reasons, but one primarily was that some of the practices, that unethical practices that were happening, um, that other licensed producers in Canada were in a position where they were providing kickbacks to either physicians or clinics or even patient aggregator groups, um, was very concerning to us. Um, we had attempted to try and get the industry association to bring in a code of ethics, um, but that was met with resistance, and it was apparent uh, when it was voted down that... Uh, they would not be in a position or, or, you know, really want to adopt that code. And why the code of ethics is so critical to us and I think to the industry is, you know, the medical cannabis industry has been tainted, as you said. There's a lot of, you know, historical look here at the industry and, um, you know, it's tainted with a lot of misconceptions and misperceptions about use. And, 
you know, putting in a code of ethics that brings us to a standard will elevate, you know, the industry, will elevate the position of medical cannabis, um, both in the general public, but also more importantly for physicians and patients. So they know that they're getting a quality product that undergoes rigorous testing from licensed producers and that we meet that high standard. Right. So, so what does that, doctors receiving kickbacks, what does, what does that mean exactly? How, how, how does that work? It doesn't sound like a good thing. No. So, I mean, this is a practice, unfortunately, that has been going on in this, uh, in this industry where um, individual physicians have asked for patient, uh, for payments, um, for patient referrals, or clinic groups have also asked for patient, the payments up to $350 to $400. And we've even seen the extreme where we have patient aggregator groups that are representing, you know, hundreds of patients where they're looking for um, payments that could be 15 to 20% of the revenue generated by those patients. Um, we've actually had patients who have been with us for a year, um, been unfortunately faced with a situation where um, they're not, uh, they're being told that they have to switch, that they can't stay with Tilray, um, which is very concerning to us. And... Um, you know, we're, what's also concerning is that the choice for medicine should never be based on financial incentive. If you, we really think, you know, we would never accept that in pharmaceuticals, we would never accept that in healthcare. So why in this industry, um, you know, we shouldn't accept that? And that, as I said, is, uh, you know, is disturbing to us. Right. I mean, I, I've written a lot about some of the ethical uh, issues in the pharmaceutical industry, and I mean, certainly, you know, we all know about drug reps who take doctors out for, for nice dinners and you know, fly them to uh, the Caribbean for <laughs> vacations, that kind of thing. I mean, is it is it so different than, than what's happening in, in that world? Is, or is, is this just a, is what the pharmaceutical industry does just a more uh, sort of polished uh, version of, uh, of this? Well, I've certainly never seen, so I've come from pharma and biotech, and I think some of the practice you're referring to, you know, those are practices that have evolved over time are no longer accepted. Um, but certainly, you know, a direct payment to a clinic or physician is not, you know, a practice that ever happened that I'm aware of in the pharmaceutical industry, and it's not something that we should allow to happen in this industry. Sure. Well, uh, we've got some uh, questions from the audience, so maybe I'll, uh, I'll fire a, a couple sure. of these uh, at you. Um, uh, the first one, I think this does raise an interesting issue. Uh, it says, uh, why can I buy uh, this in a dispensary? Um, uh, and is is that in fact uh, legal? So, I mean, that is there is this, as some people call it, gray area where there's dispensaries or compassion clubs that sure. that uh, work outside the system that you're part of. Yeah. So, I mean, to be clear up front, the dispensaries that you know are developing and, and popping up not only in Vancouver but across the country are illegal. Um, they are not getting product from licensed producers like ourselves, um, and unfortunately, there's a mis conception out there that patients are going to these dispensaries and feel that they're getting a legitimate medical card to walk out with product. Um, that product that's provided from those illegal dispensaries doesn't undergo any rigorous testing. Health Canada has no oversight on it. So unfortunately, maybe in a position where even, you know, patients who are immunocompromised with HIV AIDS or who are undergoing chemotherapy um, are getting product that's potentially contaminated with bacteria, um, and we've seen examples where, you know, some of that product has um, high pesticide levels and it doesn't undergo testing. So, um, you know, it's very concerning to us that there's this misconception out there because that's product that, you know, potentially could put people at harm. Mm, sure. Uh, the, the next question is sort of a follow-up on that, I guess. Um, and it, it's, again, asking about, well, they, they, this person describes them as a street kiosk in Vancouver uh, selling uh, medical marijuana, quote-unquote. Um, and, and this person is asking, well, where are these vendors getting their, their supply if it's not from 
a company such as yours? Uh, any? Yeah, it's a great on? question. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to ask those companies, um, you know, those dispensaries where they're getting their product from. They're certainly not getting it from any legal, licensed producers that are producing it legally. Mm -hmm. So, sure. I mean, uh, you know, one also hears from uh, medical marijuana users that dispensaries are, in, in some ways, a, a more appealing way to obtain their uh, the, their drug. You know, it's more intimate. The, the service is, is more sort of attuned to their to their needs, that kind of thing. And it doesn't involve having some something sent to you in, in the mail. I mean, uh, if if we accept uh, with less than conclusive evidence that that this is a good thing, you know, why not open the door and, and, and let these kind of uh, more informal uh, businesses flourish, I guess. Well, I think what would be key, so if you look at, you know, the process, how it works for us as a licensed producer is that a physician writes a medical document, which is very similar to a prescription. That's submitted to a licensed producer, and, um, you know, the patient talks to our customer service team, uh, determines which product they want, um, and, you know, that's sent to them overnight, so 24-7. So, you know, as I said, um, overnight delivery, direct to the patient by courier. So, you know, that's very convenient. I think that there could be a potentially an opportunity as this industry evolves for pharmacies to be involved, and that may be a more legitimate route for that person-to-person -person interaction downstream. Um, you know, the great concern, again, with these dispensaries is they're operating illegally uh, with product that, you know, may be contaminated, may be coming from sources that um, we don't know where it comes from, right? And uh, um, patients are walking out, again, as I said, thinking that they've got a legitimate right to have this product, but they don't. They can be still charged for possession um, of a narcotic. Sure. I mean, you know, going further than dispensaries, I mean, you know, we have at least a couple of states in the U.S. who now have actually legalized uh, uh, marijuana use, whether for, for medicinal or recreational purposes. I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you think about that? I mean, uh, that, I would imagine that could potentially undercut uh, your, your business if people could, could grow and, and possess it uh, sort of without restriction. I think if you look at part of the discussion we were having earlier was really around where there's a need for a clinically tested product that undergoes rigorous testing. So not only in its current form, but potentially in the future in an extract or edible form. So there's always going to be a strong place for medical cannabis in the, you know, in the marketplace, no matter what happens. You know, what happens on the legalization front is up to, you know, the public and, and, uh, to decide and, and, the, and the courts to decide. But, you know, we believe, again, part of why we're investing here is that there's going to be a place for medical cannabis because patients are always going to look to um, get product that's a medicine from a legitimate source and get it in a form that, you know, meets their requirements, and we believe, you know, that opportunity is going to continue to grow as it is today. Sure. So legalization or, or decriminalization doesn't doesn't ruin your business model as, as you see it. I mean, not that that's going to happen anytime. No. I mean, again, soon. we we really see them as two separate and distinct um, areas, sure. and there's always going to be a patient population that's looking for uh, for medical cannabis that's you know delivering a safe and and quality product that undergoes rigorous testing. Right. Um, uh, next question from the audience is, uh, what is the economic impact of your uh, facility in, uh, in BC? I understand you employ something like 200 people. Yeah, I mean, it's great. We actually worked with the NIMO Economic Development uh, Committee to um, to have a study on our first year of impact. So when we started last year in 2014. So um, right now, actually, we're up to 175 employees. So at the end of last year, when the study was completed, we had 120. So We've invested directly over $25 million into that facility, and we've spent the majority of that money locally. So even if you look at the trickle-down effect um, in terms of the local economy, 
we've created indirectly and directly in uh, 2014 375 or sorry 395 jobs in the Nanaimo region which is huge it makes us you know um, we're right now one of the top six employers there but in terms of the indirect impact um, and also the spend locally just from an operational perspective we've invested over 37 million dollars to date in Nanaimo so you know for a small city that's had a huge economic impact that's been a positive right and I understand there's some other producers there as well I mean is Nanaimo becoming the marijuana capital uh, of there's, Canada? There's another producer in Duncan, which is close okay. by. Um, they're, the, uh, they're the only one on the island that's currently mm-hmm. operating. Right. Uh, that's a significant investment. I mean, and I understand you have something like three or 4,000 customers now. I mean, how, how's the business going? I mean, is it... Yeah, we certainly, you know, it's a significant investment, and we feel that the market, you know, we're seeing evolution, the market continues to grow, and, uh, you know, we're getting positive response from patients and physicians, and not only in terms of the product we're providing and the impact it's having on their daily lives, but also the impact we're having on advancing the knowledge base around medical cannabis use. And I think that's one of the key things. As I mentioned, our accredited programs earlier, uh, we're also in a position where, um, you know, physicians are now changing their perception in terms of medical cannabis. This isn't a product for everybody. Um, This is a product that potentially is part of their armamentarium, and there's a patient population that it might be appropriate for. Um, And that's what physicians are now in a much more comfortable place to consider that. Right. So I imagine you you want to win over the the doctors to sort of further legitimize and and expand your pool of... uh, patient customers, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, we're in a position, but again, it's got to be legitimate. You want to bring forward, um, physicians got to be making the right choice for the right patient and determining who that patient should be. And I think it's really important that, um, you know, this isn't about, you know, creating an environment um, where they're prescribing for anybody and everybody. This is prescribing for the right patient, and that's what we're working on. Right. Uh, the last question from the audience is, is a very practical one. Uh, how does one get medical uh, marijuana? And I, I think maybe they're asking, well, what, what's, how does the system work from sure. the patient's point of view? Yeah, no, great question. So, as I said, um, you know, not unlike any other prescription. So as an individual, you would visit your physician, have a discussion with them if you've tried other products that haven't worked for you, um, and determine if medical cannabis is an option. Uh, If it is, then they would write a medical document, which is similar to a prescription but has a bit more information. That medical document would then be submitted to a licensed producer like ourselves, and then we would confirm that back to the physician. So we actually have to validate that that medical document. So again, another security step to make sure that the appropriate patient is then prescribed medicine. Um, and then we would work with that patient to determine based on the daily maximum allowable amount to um, provide them um, you know, overnight shipment of whatever their order was. Do you, do you have to establish that you have a medical condition that's supposedly treatable by medical marijuana or... Uh, Certainly that's up to the physician to decide. We're really like a pharmacy filling a prescription at the end of the day. So, right. so getting back to, uh, to your comments about uh, uh, Tilray looking at, at markets in other countries, I mean, is this, uh, could this uh, become kind of a, a, an export opportunity for, for Canada as a whole, um, given the system that, that's now being set up? Yeah, I think, again, we have one of the strictest, most rigorous systems in the world, and what we've built in Tilray Canada is really a learning lab, if you want to consider it that way, where the expertise that we're developing in Canada, so we're really looking at this as an opportunity to export knowledge and expertise, and that's kind of, you know, we are a leader in healthcare, we can be a leader in this segment. Um, So that's why we've started here in Canada, and as we expand, we're looking to kind of take that knowledge elsewhere. So a number of our... um, 
you know, our key staff are working on these other programs as well in other jurisdictions. Right. Any thoughts about uh, what uh, the prospects are for this business uh, if we have a new government um, uh, after the next election? Um, presumably, that if, if it is a different party in power, that they would, if anything, be more sympathetic to this uh yeah, again, I think, you know, we're, whatever the decision is, whatever government um, is in place that the public decides, um, it, you know, I don't think it's going to dramatically change this kind of marketplace today. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we have strict regulations in place that have been mandated by the courts, and Health Canada has enacted those regulations. So, um, you know, we're going to see continued, as I said, the relationship with Health Canada is positive. We get feedback from them. It's a very iterative process in terms of working back and forth on issues. Um, and they're responsive to, to questions and considerations, the same as they were in the pharma and biotech industry when I worked with them. Sure. So we talked before about some of the possible benefits of medical marijuana. I know that uh, as marijuana becomes, uh, whether recreationally or, or medicinally, becomes more sort of legitimized in society, there are some people who are have you know fairly uh, serious concerns about that, um, and, and I think they revolve around things like you know evidence we're getting about the sort of influence of of uh, smoking marijuana on driving ability, for instance, and and also on um, uh, you know uh, young people and who may be susceptible to uh, psychosis, you know, serious mental illness, and there's some evidence that that smoking pot is uh, can uh, sort of exacerbate or, or or propel that uh, forward. Um, I mean, what do you say to those who, who are worried that we're legitimizing uh, a drug that, that, as well as having, you know, some apparent uh, benefits, you know, could also do some harm? Sure. It's a great question. I think, you know, what we have to consider again is medical cannabis is a medicine, and we have to treat it accordingly. So um, the same way that, for example, you made a comment about, you know, um, driving. So the same way if you were on another opiate that you were restricted from driving after use, you would be restricted for driving for a period of time after use. And again, my comment earlier about dispensaries um, is that, you know, we have already seen, for example, enforcement of one of the against one of the legal dispensaries in Vancouver that was supplying youth. Um, and that's one of the keys, you know, of keeping a regulated system as we do, where, you know, it is only for a specific patient, no different than a prescription medication. So, I mean, we are aware that abuses occur with uh, prescription medications where, you know, uh, children take things from parents uh, and stuff. Um, we would, you know, advocate that strict uh, guidelines are put in place. Um, and that, and, and we do do that. You know, from a patient perspective, if we ever become aware of any misuse or abuse, uh, we're in a position where we actually have to report that and cut a patient off. And we actually have cut a patient, a couple patients off, where we've become aware of situations. Sure. So, um, which again, very different than even the, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, where pharmacies don't cut off patients necessarily. So, um, we have that direct link to patients. So we, you know, uh, I agree with you in many ways. Sure. And I, I just as an aside, a couple of years ago, I did a story on a. A fellow who had led uh, police on a uh, high-speed chase and then got into an awful uh, accident. Luckily, no one was was killed or anything, but uh, he had serious charges. And managed to get off because he had been prescribed, uh, I think it was morphine or some <laughs> opioid uh, painkiller. Uh, so, uh, in interesting parallel there. Uh, this is an interesting question from the from the audience. Does um, geography have any impact on the quality of growth? For cannabis, so uh, does it uh, does it matter where you grow the stuff? 
Yeah, I mean, so we're an indoor facility. So if you drove by our plant, it looks like a production facility. We grow everything indoor in individual rooms, so uh, we could be growing anywhere in Canada. Um, I think the difference could potentially be for the companies that use greenhouses, where you have different time of light and different, you know, for day. But you know, for us as a company, we could be based anywhere in Canada. Sure. Uh, what's what's the, the sort of security do you have? Because I mean, one could imagine. You know the the potential uh, uh, for for that. Around yeah, there. it's a great question. I mean, we've actually had people through for tours who have kind of commented that it looks like Fort Knox and it feels like Fort Knox when they come through in a tour. Um, we've hired an ex-RCMP special investigator who has heads up our security team. Um, we have you know uh, you know an incredible security system in place, not only from a camera perspective. You know, just to give an example, every employee that goes in and out of any doorway has to badge in and out of that doorway anywhere in the facility, regardless of what that room is or isn't, um, even in and out of our cafeteria. <laughs> so, um, so we have very strict controls. We also have a level nine vault. Um, so that doesn't mean anything to the audience, but to give you a perspective, you know, many pharmaceutical companies that are you know, dispensing narcotics or have narcotics don't have that level of vault. So we have an incredibly secure facility along with the secure systems we have in terms of our checks and balances in the system. Sure. Uh, I think we have time for for the one last question. Um, the, this uh, is obviously coming from someone perhaps as a potential investor. Um, uh, the, ba- the banking industry considers the medical cannabis business risky. What are you doing about this? Yeah, I'm surprised to hear that comment because we actually bank with um, two different Canadian banks as a company, so we're already um, banking. And, you know, from an investor perspective, people in the audience may not be aware. I mean, we've... Um, our private equity group that overs- that uh, founded the company and, and uh, where we find our funding from as an affiliate, um, you know, we've had global investors such as Peter Thiel from Founders Fund who started PayPal as one of our lead investors. So, you know, we've attracted some phenomenal investors. Um, and as I said, from the banking perspective, we're, we're banking with Royal Bank, um, you know, so uh, we certainly have no issues from a banking perspective in Canada. Okay. okay. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Mr. Engel, on behalf of the Canadian Club of Toronto, I'd like to thank you for sharing your passionate, provocative, and personal journey with us today. As Canada's healthcare sector evolves and diversifies, emerging industries such as medical cannabis provide opportunities for further growth and innovation. We applaud your dedication to responding to the needs of patients. Your desire to bring medical cannabis to the forefront of treatment options for those suffering from serious and severe health conditions clearly shows your commitment to making a difference. This commitment was recently demonstrated by the creation of the Canadian Medical Cannabis Council to be based here in Toronto. We wish you well with that as you lead Teal Ray into an exciting new avenues. And Mr. Blackwell, we appreciate your journalistic expertise in guiding such an engaging and dynamic conversation this afternoon. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us today. Now, just before I adjourn uh, today's meeting, I'd like to draw your attention to the event survey card that we've placed on each of your tables. The Canadian Club is always looking for ways 
to improve your experience. So if you could please take a moment to let us know your thoughts and comments, including whether you like, like our new shortened luncheon format this season, we'd really appreciate your feedback. This concludes our program today, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We are grateful to Rogers TV and to 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian club events. To learn more about our club, please visit us at www.canadianclub.org. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being an attentive audience today. Our meeting is now adjourned.